You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Scrum Again by the Attacking Scrum podcast. While it's the off-season, we thought we'd take a chance to trawl through the archives and bring you some of our favourite episodes. So whether you're listening to this for the first time or you're having another listen back to it, a few of our favourite guests. So we're going to be doing this right the way up until uh, the Wales uh, Internationals in July. Uh, This week, it is one of my favourite ever guests. Uh, We spoke to James Hook during the uh, during the the height of the the very first lockdown and we got him to come on and pick his dream 15 uh, so we chose his favorite uh, favorite side yeah fantasy 15 and uh, we did this with a lot of people so there might be a few more of these uh, a few more of these to come but he's genuinely one of my absolute favorite guests uh, he was a player I loved watching and also um, he just took this uh, <laughs> seemed to take it really seriously and do loads of prep um, but then was absolute uh, an absolute joy to chat to and loads and loads of fun so uh, we thought we'd bring you Hookies one first and also uh, it's his testimonial um, coming up I think it's the 10th of June and you can still get tickets head um, head to jameshooktestimonial.com I think um, or yeah uh, at the very least give it a Google um, and I think you can still get tickets for that so uh, yeah a chance to see uh, Hookie and some of his contemporaries in action, uh, so make sure you do that. Um, but yeah, this was absolutely loads of fun. Um, really, uh, really good guy. Lots of fun to chat to, and was definitely uh, one of the one of the highlights of uh, of that very strange lockdown period. So yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy it. If you do enjoy this, please leave us a review. Head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, and leave us a review. That really helps us out. As I say, we'll be back for the Wales Internationals in July. Uh, and finally, a thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, if you want to get some quality coffee to see you through until we're back, uh, you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, thanks for listening. On with the show. Midfield has plenty of balls. Now it's more open for Wales, Jonathan Thomas outside James Hook, a wonderful run by James Hook, there's that hand up, there's the finish by Hook, brilliant, great solo try, James Hook. 
Welcome to another edition of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. And I'm delighted to say we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you this evening. Over the past few weeks, we've had journalists, we've had bloggers, we've had fans like me and Dan do it. Uh, and actually, we've got someone who's been picked in the Dream 15 already. It's my delight to say I'm joined by James Hook. How are you doing, James? Oh, are you Jed? You okay, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. I yeah, didn't realise I was picked in the Dream 15, pick that. Yeah, this is it. Do you know what, I can't remember now. I've done, I think I've done about seven or eight of them. And, uh, and yeah, you've, uh, you, you're the first person to come on as a guest who's actually made it into, into one of the teams as well. I don't, maybe, maybe Sean Connor? I don't know. I'll have to, oh, I'll have to have a, have a think back and, uh, and go over that. Um, <laughs> how, uh, first question though, how have you found this? Has this been a difficult process? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was actually and fun at the same time. You're flipping out. There's so many quality players, and I didn't, I didn't know where to start to be honest, yet, But uh, I've, I've got some names written down, and uh, I'm sure whichever 15 I've I've picked, uh, they'll do a job. Oh well, we're looking forward to it. Well, let's um, let's start with the area that you know the most about, <laughs> and that's in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's let's crack straight on with uh, with the number one shirt. Who've uh, <clears throat> who have you gone for, and who was in the running for loosehead prop? Right, well, before I start, I want to say I, I haven't selected any any Welsh in my squad just because wow. I thought, yeah, I just wanted to go just, I don't know, I, I suppose once I, once I start picking one Welshman, I know, it gets a bit political then, doesn't it? So I thought, right, there's plenty of other good players out there, so I'll, uh, I'll scour the globe and see what I can come up with. So that, oh, that's, wow, I like that. Yeah. But I will obviously mention a couple of the Welsh players uh, in those positions, so obviously talking about of course. number one, obviously getting Jenkins springs to mind straight away. But um, I thought I thought about Oz Durant, which is a player you know who's he's a legend so during the nineteen ninety seven Lions tour to South Africa. I think he was he was the one that uh, Scott Gibbs actually bounced off, wasn't he? He was, yeah, yeah. Was Gibbs Gibbs ran over him, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did. But uh, obviously that wasn't his uh, his greatest moment. But he was a, he was a great player uh, and a huge bloke. I always remember. Um, but the, the person I've actually gone with is uh, is the beast, the South African uh, Lucid. Oh ten, yeah, ten, ten. How do you pronounce his name? Do you know Jed? You I think you know it's yeah? Tendai, Tendai Matamawira. I think that's the one. But that's the one. We'll call the him the beast. Of this, let's call him the beast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause I, just, I just like the obviously I'll announce my um, venue later on. I like the sound, uh, the thought of the crowd chanting his name in, in the venue I picked. So. Oh well, we look forward. We look forward to hearing more about that as well. But yeah, God, what a um, what a player, and um, you know, a, a long, you know, a pretty long career as well, almost as long as yours, okay? <laughs> yeah. How long has he played uh, for South Africa? I know he's been, he's been around well, a while. Yeah, he's about thirty-four now, isn't he? So he's uh, yeah. So you've been there in that uh, in that uh, in that that Lions series in two thousand and nine, of course, and then um, and then yeah, you know, was was a part of the World Cup squad as well, which is you know pretty good going in the uh, in the thick of it in the front row. Yeah, I think you have about one hundred seventeen tests, something like that. I think yes, amazing. So yeah, Absolutely he's uh, amazing. He's my number one anyway, but uh, yeah, great player. How um, we've got to ask you this as well. You know, obviously playing uh, the, those, those uh, positions in the back, so you played you know ten and in the centre and stuff. How um, how important is it for you to have a you know a, a good pack of forwards in front of you? You know, for us mere mortals who've who've never played professional rugby, how uh, how much of a difference does it make when you've got that front football and you've got the back football? Oh well, huge difference. I think if it can determine the whole game, can it? I think you know what one. Um... 
obviously I played in France for three years and one of the big sayings was no scrum, no play. Uh, mm. And basically, you know, if your scrum's going backwards, you you can train all week and practice all the moves you like, but if you're not getting uh, good front football or, or any ball at all and, and you're struggling, so yeah, it's just, it's, it makes a huge difference. And obviously it starts up front with the, with the front row in particular, so if they can keep our scrum steady, we're, uh, we're laughing, there's no to laugh. Well, I think yeah, you de- you definitely have uh, someone keeping the front row steady in the beast. Uh, what about uh, what about number two? Who uh, who is in the running for hooker? Right. Well, I I've, I've gone for Shark Ritz, mm. uh, another another Springbok actually. But um, I've I've played against him a lot of times. I played with him for the for the Barbarians and uh, away from rugby. He's, he's a fantastic bloke, really positive guy, and uh, I just think as as a player, he's there's not many forwards, particularly front row forwards, that could probably do a job at international rugby in the backs. And he's, he is one of those. So um, I, I think we played played against Saracens for Gloucester. And I th- think they, they did it, you know, towards towards the end of his career. So it says a lot about him. But they put him in the backfield to to gather kicks uh, to counter-attack back. So, you know, he's asking a hooker to do that. That's, that shows a lot about him. It does. And you know, he's one of those players who, as a fan, he's so much fun to watch uh, because he plays like it's, you know, he looks like he's having so much fun when he's playing. Was that kind of, uh, was that what it was like when you're playing with the Barbarians and when you're playing against him? Is, you know, does he look like he's having, you know, is he having as much fun as he looks like he's having? Yeah, definitely. He's got, he's got, got a heck of a step on him as well for, for a hooker. But yeah, I think he, basically every, every game he played, whether it's for Saracens, for, for South Africa, he pretty much played like a Barbarians uh, player mm-hmm. anyway, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, great, great player. Another hooker who I used to like growing up watching was uh, was Keith Wood. Um, mm. You know, great, sort of elusive hooker as well. Um, but, you know, and obviously you've got Richard Hibbard as, as the Welsh hooker who I've played with a lot and grown up with, and but a different type of hooker. But uh, as I'm not picking any Welsh, I've, I've gone for Charles Bridge. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, you know, it's an interesting one that. I, th- I think the other thing that we found with this, um, getting people on to kind of pick their, <clears throat> their Dream 15, is some players, you know, like I picked a lot of players who I watched growing up. And then we've had other guys on who have gone for players, you know, when they're a bit older. And when we had Sean Connor on, Sean went for a lot of players from his era when he was yeah. playing. Did you, did you find it was easier to pick players who you played with and against? Or was it more of the players you, uh, you saw when, you know, when you were growing up watching rugby? Um, yeah, I think it is easy actually get a bit more perspective on the player and you know a little bit more about them as well. But I think you know, there's obviously standout players like like Keith Wood. Obviously, I never played with Keith Wood, but you know, he was a hooker that stood out to me again around you know the, the 90s growing up watching international rugby. Um, but yeah, I think, I think as as a player, it is, it is easier because you, you're involved, you're playing against these players, you're watching them week in, week out, where perhaps the the older sort of generation, you know, particularly the the eighties, you know, you just rely on on highlight reels and videos and things. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. oh, an interesting one. But yeah, Shalbert's great, great pick, and uh, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of fun to watch. What about uh, what about Tight Ed? Who's in the running here? Tight Ed. Well, like you say, Jed, it's not uh, really my strong point. The front row. So <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've obviously Owen Franks is is a is a legend of the game, uh, New Zealand. Uh, tight dead but I, I've gone with Nicolas Mass the French tight dead yeah. um, again again I played with him in Perpignan um, and just just what a competitor he, he was our captain uh, again another great bloke 
but a guy who could who could pull a team together so so mm-hmm. easily. I had the respect of the whole team, and I actually remember we before uh, our games in Perpignan, we used to obviously huddle up, but before we had a team huddle, we have the backs, uh, a little chat first, then the forwards, then we'd all come together. And I remember is when Luke Chartis was was over in Perpignan at the time, and obviously he's you know six foot twelve charts, and he and. Uh, <laughs> I remember Nicola Massey, he's not he's not the tallest of blokes, but he's screaming and shouting at his forwards as uh, most most French forwards do to each other. But uh he ends up uh, going around each forward and just sort of sticking the head in every forward and trying to get him revved up. So as I say, because he's so short and Luke Chart is so tall, Luke Chart has had to bend down to allow Nicola Mass to stick the head in him. So it's a, it was a great sight to watch and uh, didn't really prepare me in uh, in the way I wanted to before a game, but uh, it, was, it was good fun to watch. It's like, it must be like a you know like a giraffe bending down to to get a ticket <laughs> off from a rhino or something. You know? It was exactly like that, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but no, I think you know that shows a respect. The loop chart has actually bent down for him to uh, to get headbutted. So oh, I like that, yeah. And I tell you what, looking at this front row as well, I I half wondered whether you know you were going to pick being a being a silky back and outside half, James. I wondered whether you were going to go for you know real offload. All players like Shout Brits, you know, all offloading yeah. players. But you got you got two really and scrummages either side of him, haven't you? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to what we were just saying about that balance. And if it, you know, obviously my backs will uh, will show a bit of flair now when I come to that. But uh, you know, they've got to have the platform to to play as well. Nice work. Well, yeah, for a pretty formidable front row we've got. Uh, let's move on into the uh, into the engine room. I'm looking forward to you explaining how you're not <laughs> picking Alan Wynne Jones. Ah, uh, I know, I know. I'm gonna have to sneak him in here now. <laughs> I have to go against my word, you know. No, I've gone, um, so I've gone, so my choices at number four, again, so many quality second rows, but you've got obviously Martin Johnson, mm-hmm. John Eels, um, which was again was someone, well, both, both those players <clears throat> growing up, I watched and didn't play against any of those, but uh, obviously quality players in, in their own right, but I've gone for Bucky's Bota, um, I don't know if he's come up, come up at all in your dream teams. Oh, he's 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 come up. I mean, just quickly on John Eels, I picked John Eels, and I I decided I want him to be my goal kicker as well, just because I thought you know there's something amazing about having a about having a number four taking goal kicks in a World Cup final. Um, but yeah, Bucky's Bolter has come up because he's just you know just sheer force and just like an animal. Yeah, I mean, you, you must have played against Bucky's a few times as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... Obviously, Wales against South Africa. But I remember him on again on the Lions in two thousand nine, and there's just obviously he's, he's a great player. But I just remember the size of the bloke, like you like you just said, you know, just walking past him, it's like you know, it's like you're thinking, how the heck am I going to tackle this bloke? You know, he's a, he's a machine, and uh, yeah, he's uh, you know, he hit wrecks hundred mile an hour. You know, he just flew into someone, and went, you know, when when he hit someone, you know, they stayed it. So he was uh, he was a good good player to uh, to watch. Not not so great to play against, but uh, yeah, he, he gets gets my nod in the second row, number four. We're definitely, we're definitely going to touch on that 2009 tour um, a bit more, like uh, yeah, a bit a bit more as this podcast goes on, because you kind of me and my mates are, were fascinated by that tour because we were, mm-hmm. I think it was the height of how much we loved rugby in 2009. <clears throat> yeah, you know, we were so into it, and the you know the DVD that came out afterwards gave you this kind of insight into what it was like, but. I'm surprised to say, you know, because obviously you were on that tour as a as a lion, and you've uh, in the in the front five or the front, the four players we named, you picked three Springboks already. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking through my team now. I think that's that's about it as well. So in terms of Springbok, oh no, there's one more which I'll come to. But 
yeah, I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, just just realise how many there are actually in there. But uh, yeah, the, the show's got to show how many quality Springboks has been over the years. Oh, it does. I'm going I'm to ask you a bit about that tour then now, actually, while it's yeah. while it's front of mind. Because again, for for us as fans, it felt like after the the disaster of 2005 and and how um, you know how disappointed everyone was after that, it almost felt like the the 2009 tour. Although the Lions didn't get the win, it was the the tour that kind of saved the Lions as a as a thing. You know, mm. yeah, and, they played so well. Yeah, exactly. And obviously narrowly missing out in the second test, which mm. obviously would have set set it all up for the decider. But uh, I think, yeah, I think what it, what it did was, you know, the, the fans that travelled out there, they saw some great rugby, not just in the test, but but in the in the games leading up. And I think obviously winning that final test as well made made it, you know, a great tour. Uh, like you say, even though we didn't win win the test series, uh, there's so much happened in in every single game that you know uh, gets people talking. And I seem to I seem to remember talking about the games leading up to the test. There was a, a midweek game that you played in. I can't think who it was against now, but um there was definitely an occasion where you got hit and, and it looked like you, you stayed hit. There there must be yeah. some mean mean bastards out there in those midweek games. Oh there was Jed. I, I remember that game was um the Southern Kings, I think it was in um Port Elizabeth. Yeah, I think it might have been, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was I remember it because um it just it was the first game in the brand new stadium, uh, lovely stadium, and um, yeah, they, they just came out and they they came out to hurt us and, and injure us because the week after was was the first test. Um, I started at ten, and I remember making like a like a half break, and I can't remember who it was. Came across and just forearm me straight in the chin, and uh, that's pretty much all I can remember. I um, yeah. I, I got back up, I got, got seen by the physio, and I've only. Or you saw this footage on the the Lions DVD where you know the doctors come on, physios come on, and I obviously told them you know I was okay and it was fine. And then I got back up and Mike Blair was a scrum half at, at the time, and uh, he asked me we had a scrum. And he asked me uh, you know for the call, and I, I didn't have a clue. I didn't I didn't have a clue. I couldn't think of any calls. And obviously as a nine and ten, you know you the dictators, you organise everything, and I was like. I don't know, mate. I haven't got a clue. I was like, and I knew then, you know, I thought, flip, mate, this is, this is not good, you know. So I played on for, I don't know, thirty seconds a minute, and and I came off in in first half, which I was gutted about because, because obviously uh, the first test was coming up, and I felt that you know I'd played played really well on the tour, and I was putting myself in in the picture for it, but uh, it put me out of contention then for that first test. But uh, yeah, brutal, brutal game. Watching watching those DVDs, you know, again, like I say, you know, me and my mates here, we love to watch them after a few beers and and stuff like that. What's it like watching it back as a player? You know, it, it must be such a different experience when you've actually been there and and in the camp and you're kind of reliving it again. I almost think like you wouldn't want to watch it as a player. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I yeah, I enjoy watching it. And I watched I actually watched that um, tour. He was on Sky Sports I think last summer. They put uh, the whole the whole sort of documentary on, and that no, was really enjoyable. I think you know some great memories like we just spoken about from there. And you know, I always remember again as a, as a young boy growing up watching the Living with the Lions, you know, the, the mm. original Living with the Lions DVD or or VHS as it was back then. And uh, you know, you you won't get better than that. You know, as much as you try, it's uh, you know combination of uh, the old school players and uh, the way they used to do it back in the days. One of the best documentaries still to this day. Yeah, it takes some beating. Right then, who's uh, who's going to be alongside Backy's motor in the uh, in the second row? Well, as we're on that sort of subject, I've gone for Paula Cornell. 
who again oh, speak, wow. speaking about on on that tour and you know he's obviously a different type of player to to back his border probably not as physical but I just just remember obviously played against him before that tour a lot um but just the way you can just in his when he's speaking to a to a group of players or to his team or to to someone in the public or on a function the way he gets the room to listen to him and everyone's just intrigued about what he says you know it, it, it didn't really matter what he said because the whole room or the whole group of boys are just listening to him and hanging on every word and I think that's that's what, that's what he wants from a captain and uh, you know when I left that tour I had huge huge respect for him obviously before I went on it huge respect for him believing you know massive respect yeah do you know again it, it's one of those things it, it comes across on those DVDs doesn't it you just see <clears throat> You can kind of almost see the the look in the eyes of the players as he's as he's speaking. When he stands up and says something, it's not for the sake of wanting to say something. Everyone there is is going to listen and and take what he's saying on board. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And again, another really really genuine nice guy. Uh, I bumped into him in one of the Six Nations games, obviously before you know the lockdown and everything started. Mm. Um, and just what a what a lovely lovely bloke. And uh, yeah, great player to go with it. Oh wow! This 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 front uh, this pack is taking shape, and there's a there's a lot of mean, a lot of mean individuals in it. I'm liking the look of this so far. Let's uh, let's move on to the back row then. And uh, we always talk about balance in the back row. This is one of the cliches we always talk about on the podcast. Is that what you've gone for? Have you gone for? A, have you gone for the kind of the, the fetcher, the chopper, and the and the big ball carrier? What's the what's the balance of James James Hook's back row? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it's a bit like that. Um, so well, should we start with six? Should we? Go for it. We start with them, but so the options I had was uh, Kieran Reed for obvious reasons, unbelievable player, and I think uh, I think he's he's a hundred capper. I think is he? He's on. Yeah, I think he is, and I, I have this obsession. I've mentioned this a few times on the pod, but like you know, I mean, as you know, right? You got you got eighty five, eighty. Where, what is it? Eighty one, eighty two caps away. Eighty one. Right? Yeah, that's eighty one caps. That's you know, that's an amazing achievement, and then. You think how amazing uh, the, the amazing depth of talent there is in New Zealand. Mm. Think how good you've got to be to get hundred caps for New Zealand. Oh. You know, in, in those positions, ridiculous, ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how many there are in New Zealand have got hundred caps. Obviously, Dan Carter did, didn't he? Uh, Richie McCall did. Owen Franks. There's not a lot of lot of hundred cap All Blacks, is it? No, no I'm, I'm, Googling, I'm googling it as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well. You know, it was only probably a handful and flip the neck. If you get under caps of the All Blacks, you know, you get you get ten caps of the All Blacks. You know, you you're something special. But uh, yeah, it shows what an incredible player he is. But but yeah, I haven't picked him a six. Mm. I've gone for I've gone for Khaleesi. The, uh, oh wow, South African, Khaleesi, uh, yeah. captain. I, I don't know if he's come up in any of the dream teams. Uh, he's not yeah. the first the first person to mention him. Actually, yeah, I thought like because obviously he's. He's current. He's he's the present uh, current captain at the moment. But I just think watching that World Cup, you know, I had so much respect for him. Um, you know, never never played against him. Don't know the bloke, but you can just see, you know, the the amount of respect he's got from from his players and supporters, and not just the South African players and supporters, the, the whole of the, the whole of the world. You know, after that World Cup. Yeah, and do you know what? There's there's something quite special about it because I think if you you know look, you you would know this better than better than me, but a lot of people kind of watching, you'd look at that back row in South Africa. And again, there's so much strength in depth. <laughs> you know, you got Peter Steff de Toit, who's a, just an animal. Yeah. Um, you've got you've got Francois Lowe in the mix. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's, 
who's the eight? I can't even remember now. But you, you'd almost look at it and say, actually, Sia Khaleesi as a as a player, you know, is is he good enough to even get in that back row? But you have to pick him because he's like this. Um, it seems like he holds, he's the glue that holds that side together. Yeah, he de- yeah he is. He is. So, like you say, there's so many other quality sixes in the world. But uh, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna put him in. Oh, great choice. I like that a lot. Um, what about uh, yeah? What about open side then? Right. Well, again, you have got the obvious Richie McCaw, and uh, you know probably if, you know another day you get in you get in this team. But the seven I've gone for is uh, I've gone for George Smith. And nice. Uh, again, you know, an unbelievable career. I don't know. He's uh, he's still going now, isn't he? And I don't know when his first cap was, but uh, he has been around so long, and to be around so long, and you know, the, put the performances in that, that he has done. And I played against him for for Gloucester against mm-hmm. Wasps, and it's actually a, a story where uh, I think it was my second season where um, he got uh, sighted because <clears throat> I would ju- I just made a tackle and he sort of come in to sort of enter the ruck and I was on the edge of the ruck and he caught me with his sort of shin slash knee uh, in the side of the head. Um, and to be honest with you, I sort of didn't realise it was him or what, what really happened. So I brushed it off, got, got on with the game and I had a message from Bradley Davis, a Welsh second row, saying, uh, George Smith, you know, I've sent him a number, he wants to message you, he's been sighted for something and I didn't, didn't realise he'd been, been sighted for, for that. Um, so he wanted to to see if I'd if I'd give him a reference, you know, because yeah. he didn't think it was that bad, and you know, it, it wasn't really that bad because you know I didn't really notice it that much. Um, but like you say, the sighting commissioner picked it up, so I, I wrote him. I looked at the video back then and just said, you know, it was something nothing. Uh, I think Wasp had a big game the following week, so Dai Young obviously wanted wanted George Smith fit, and he didn't want to, uh, you know, and ready to play because he didn't want to lose him. So. Um, I wrote him a good reference and he, he got off it, uh, which meant he could play the next game. Uh, and I just, he said, oh, thanks very much. Sent me, you know, nice message. And I said, oh, no problem. Just, you know, buy me buy me a drink. Buy me, I think I said something like a, like a vodka Red Bull or something when I, I see you next. And uh, about a week later, I turned up to King's Home. We had a training session in King's Home and he sent me a big limited edition bottle of Grey Goose. So uh, I was... Uh, <laughs> I always remember that. So that was really nice of him. So uh, he didn't just buy me one drink; he bought me a big bottle of Grey Goose. Oh, nice touch! I like that a lot. It's um, yeah, on on the rugby side of things. So, like you say, like he played for so long, and he he played tests um, against the Lions twelve years apart, and that's just amazing, isn't it? You know, he was he was there in that O one series, and then I, I'm fairly certain, off the top of my head, he featured in the in the 2013 series. Like you think, how much rugby changed between O one and and thirteen, and he was so good he could play international rugby at that time. Yeah, crazy, and like you say, for such a physical position as well. You know, his body must be battered, you know. But you look at him; he still looks in, in great nick, and you know, in uh, good physical condition. So, uh, yes, it's a credit to him. Yeah, we were saying this um, with, with someone else the other week about Thierry Duzatois. Like, yeah. you know, he played played so many games for France at the highest level. There's barely a scratch on him. You know, like <laughs> it's like you know, if you if you look at Joe Calzaghi, you know, you'd never say that Joe Calzaghi fought and won forty nine well, you know, forty nine professional fights because he do, it doesn't look like there's a scratch on him. And I think there must be there must be something about those uh, about some of these um, back row fours that they just kind of know. How to, how to dip in and out like Calzaghi dips in and out with the jab yeah. yeah it's probably a lot to be said for that actually isn't it you know the, 
and and the technique and the way they do things. So yeah, he's he's, he's definitely one of those, isn't he? George Smith, great choice. What about number eight then? Number eight, right? Okay, so I've gone for. I thought about Zinzanbrook, and again, you talk about John Eels with uh, his goal <laughs> kicking and things like that. Well, Zinzanbrook, you always remember his uh, his drop goal, wasn't it? Uh, don't know, That's what, right. Yeah, against England. That? that was. I was against England in the ninety-five, ninety-five semi, the, the game where where Lomu uh, steamrolled with Mike Cat. That was that same game. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, you always remember that. That's all. Always on his highlight reel. But uh, I, I've gone for Philo Tia Tia at number eight. Oh, uh, you, you're, you're not the first Osprey we've had on here to, to mention him. Uh, we've we've had Kai on a couple of times, and Kai always says he's the he was like of all those Galacticos who were in the squad at the time. He says that one of the most important players in that team was Philo. Yeah, yeah, he was. And I think when obviously the internationals were away, he was one of the players along with obviously Marty Holler. Justin Marshall, Stefan Tablanche, these boys were there all year round. And, but he was a phenomenal player. What, what, a, what a player, what a, a team player. Um, and he was, he was almost like a coach as well at the same time. So he'd, you know, he'd, be, he'd be training uh, and coaching the boys out there. Um, and just everything, he never, never had a bad game. And you could tell the opposition feared him every time they were on the pitch against him. He was such a presence. What uh, what was what was he like to train with? Is it is he one of them again who um, you know in a training setup? Is he taking it sixty percent, or is he is he flying in thinking oh, I'm going to take a piece out of hooky in uh, in his defence drills? <laughs> I think I think that's what. Funny enough, I was speaking about this. I can't remember who I was speaking uh, about it to um, one of my one of my mates, and they were saying about players like like Philo, like Jerry Collins, these these big. Uh, you know, players who could in training smash lumps out of you if they wanted to. They could they could end you every single session. But you know, they they were players who in in training just contained themselves. They yeah. knew they knew it was almost laughable. They could they could end you if they wanted to. But you know, they they had the respect for you, and you know, they knew they just emptied the tank on the weekend. And I think technically he was up there with with the best. You know, his breakdown skills and everyone knows about it, how strong he was. His running ability, his defending, but. Yeah, I think all round great player. Well, do you know he, he, uh, he is an all round great player in a pretty formidable looking pack. So just uh, just as we head into the break, let's quickly recap on uh, on uh, James James Hook's Dream Fifteen pack. We've got the Beast at uh, Loosehead, Shout Brits at Hooker, Nicola Mass at Tighthead, Backy's Boater, and Paul O'Connell in the second row. And then in the back row, we've got at number eight, Philo Tia, George Smith at open side, and Sia Kalise at blind side. That that's a pretty yeah, that's a pretty good pack. And uh, you said you had a you had a lot of options. Now you've heard that read out to you. you still you still happy with those as your picks? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I've named it now, so I can't go back. <laughs> There's no turning back, and we're going to find out uh, who will be joining them in the backs, uh, and we're going to do that after this very very short break. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Attack and Scrum. Time now, then, James Hook, for you to uh, to choose where I think you've spent most of your time, uh, which is choosing the backs. And uh, I suppose it's a very, very important one here uh, at number nine. You must have, you know, you must have played with some amazing nines uh, throughout your career. Um, but who's the who, who's kind of in contention for uh, for this fantasy fifteen? Yeah, well, I think the ones you've um, 
you know, uh, you mentioned I played with, you know, Mike Phillips, Dwayne Peel, Justin Marshall. You know, these scrum halves are world-class, world-class scrum halves. Um, but yeah, Justin Marshall, because obviously I'm not picking any Welsh, come into contention. Um, Gareth Edwards as well, you know, we've obviously going back uh, back into, you know, the 70s, 80s, but, uh, you know, he's he's got to be up there, one of the greatest scrum halves that have ever played the game. Um so you know they come into contention, but um, do you know what I said earlier about uh, no more spring box? There was one more, and this is this is him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about this, but it's uh, it's Suze van der Vest, isn't? Oh wow! I don't know if he's come yeah. up in the in the options, but what but what a player growing up like, again around that World Cup ninety um, ninety five World Cup. That, yeah. I always remember that the tackle he put on Lamu. When you know, obviously, all the chat was about Lomu in the World Cup, and how we're going to bring him down, especially in, in the World Cup final. And I remember he put a big tackle on Lomu, was steaming into him, and then he put him into touch, and there's a bit of a scuffle. And he was like, Right, he was in for a game, yeah. I mean, he's uh, he's again, I, I remember watching him growing up, and he was just um. Seemed to have absolutely everything in his game because it's at a time when you could be forgiven if you were a scrum half who you know who missed tackles or was brushed off, and yeah. he never did. You know, he was like you say, he was putting in hits on on Lomu, who was a man that was was bundling through, you know, bundling through blindside flankers for fun. Yeah. Um, but alongside that, he had a, he had a great snipe. His service was good. He had a good kicking game. He, in many ways, was like he was years ahead of his time. He was, he was, and I, and I got another story. One, probably the reason that uh, tipped tipped me to put him in the team was, um, I think it was two thousand or two thousand and one. We went on a college tour, East College tour to South Africa, <clears throat> and um, we went New Zealand. Uh, sorry, South Africa. We're playing uh, Australia in in Cape Town. Um, so the Thursday, I think it was, we went to watch South Africa train. Um, we took the the college bus down and. I thought, you know, we'd be, you know, we'd be miles away from the team. We'd never get a chance to see them. And we got there and there was like a college sort of training ground. Um, and we were right up close to the, to the South African team. So the forwards and backs split and the forwards for the college, as you do when I watch the forwards, the backs when I watch the backs. And they were doing some set piece plays off scrum. And I, I loved Van der Vestesen at the time. So I used to play scrum half up until the age of 17. So he was one of the scrum halves I used to love watching. And I just shouted across to him, just uh, used, you know, just to sort of maybe get a wave or something like that. Um, and, and he did wave to me. He asked me how I was and he called me onto the training pitch to to play number eight for for him. Like, you know, so as if you do like an eight, nine sort of move. Um, and I fed him the ball and I was looking in the back line. And at the time they had like Louis Kuhn at outside half, Brent Russell at full back. And I was like, this this is one of the best days of my life. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. again, like, what, what age did you say? You were 16, 17? Uh, so I was in East College. So I was, yeah, 17. 17, maybe going on 18. Yeah, 17 would have been. Oh, that, yeah, it must have been, yeah, one of those kind of pinch yourself moments at, at that age. I've got to ask you, though, at that stage, <clears> you know, obviously, you know, you'd have you'd have played a lot of age-grade rugby and, and you know, you've been starting to kind of find your uh, find your feet at, at various levels. Did you think at that stage, you know, you'd, you'd go on and play for Wales? At that stage, no, not at mm. all, not at all. Because I was, I, like I say, I played scrum half until until about that age, really. It was when I went to Neath College um, and I was playing sort of youth rugby. I'd moved from nine to to ten, um, so 
yeah, I, I was I wasn't thinking. I was pretty much thinking about getting in the college team. Um, you know, at, at that time as well, I'd I'd scraped in the the Wales under 18s team, the sort of end of that year. Um, but you know, I didn't really feel I was you know pushing for you know the Wales schoolboys was was the the best Welsh team of that age, and I was probably nowhere near that. Um, so no, I didn't expect to you know get the, the career I did in the end. Right, so yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It's uh, it's brilliant hearing uh, yeah, hearing that hearing that story from uh, from out in South Africa. Let's <laughs> let's get on to um onto the number ten position. Were you tempted to pick yourself here? <laughs> yeah, I was tempted, but uh, there's no no Welsh chat, is it? <laughs> and not even yourself. Fair <laughs> enough. I like that, mate. I like that. You're you're a man of principle. <laughs> um, but oh, obviously, there's a lot of options here, and I thought about. I thought about Wilkinson. Obviously, mm. you know the obviously goal kicking, defending. That just a, obviously a world class player f- for different reasons to probably the other options I've got. Dan Carter, uh, probably the most complete ten in, in the world. Um, I thought about Jiffy as well, John and Davis, because recently during this lockdown, you've seen some of the highlights and stuff, and obviously it's things I've seen before, but just hits home a little bit. Just just how good he was, you know, in league and union. Um, Phil Bennett obviously sprung to mind um, but the one I've gone for is Thomas Castanier oh nice yeah I, always, I just remember what? with Castanier um, the, I think it was Wales France 99 I think it was I, don't, I, don't, I might have got my dates wrong here but when he just he just run riot uh, against Wales and just basically every, everything he touched you know sort of turned to gold and he was uh, sort of flamboyant, uh, 10, could pretty much do everything. Wasn't the biggest player in the world, but I'd like to see him in, in this team and see how he goes, getting a good pack. Yeah, I, th- I think it might have been 98, actually. I, th- I, th- I think 99 was the year we we got a win out there. Um, ah, that's why, that's why I was thinking and, 99 then, yeah. Yeah, and 90, 98 was, uh, might have been at Wembley, actually. I think it might have been one of the games at Wembley, and he absolutely, yeah, I remember the game now. It was like, yeah. they won by 40, 50 points. He, yeah. Um, and, he, and he was he was just superb. Yeah, he was. He was a hell of a player, wasn't he? Was, um, you know, is, <clears throat> is there, were there players you watched growing up who you thought, right, you know, I, I want to play like him? And obviously you said, you know, you play, you're kind of playing nine at the time, but uh, did you ever look at other players and thought, you know, that's that's who I want to model my game on or did you always want to kind of yeah, play it in your own way? I think I think as a kid growing up, particularly looking at players in the opposition, so 10, for example, for me, um, you know, you look at, at players like Castanier or... Or, or Jiffy, like I mentioned, for example, or players like this who, who can who can do things um, and make you stand up and, and say, "Wow, you know." But I think it's when when you get older, and obviously, you, you know, I play in in these positions and professionally, you realise, you know, how how good Wilkinson is. Dan Carter, obviously, is what would being a complete player because he could do all those things uh, that probably Castanier could do. Um, but he could control a game unbelievably well as well, and you know he he does make a lot of mistakes. You know, you know again he doesn't do great things all the time, but he just seems to do the right thing all of the time. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. But yeah, nice, um, yeah, nice blend of uh, of uh, halfbacks there. You know, you got that kind of. That grit and steel <clears> of Van der Vestazen and the and the real silky Castanier like that a lot. Right, let's uh, let's have a look at the wingers. So the wingers, uh, so right, I've gone, do you know what, for number 11, it wasn't really, 
any other options I thought of other than John Alamu. I was mm. thinking, of, how can you pick a dream 15? I know I probably picked, you know, a couple outside the box so far, but John Alamu, again, during that, uh, you know, sort of 90s, 95 World Cup when he came onto the scene, you know, he, he was, he, he reminded me actually of when, when he watched football and he watched when Wayne Rooney came onto the scene and when he was 16 years old, you just you just wanted to see him with the ball because you knew every time he was going to get the ball, something was going to happen. Whether it was it was you know it was a great pass, a great shot, a great goal, whatever it is, and you felt that were long every time you got the ball. And yeah, that's that's the reason I picked him. Do you know again? I, mean, I think we're you know we're we're similar age, James. And I remember watching um watching that that World Cup, and I think it was the first game New Zealand played was against Ireland, and I was watching it in my nan's back bedroom in Newport, and. I'd never seen anything like it because you just you didn't have wingers that big um, no. in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, you, there, there was no one like him. Well, in fact, anywhere in the world game, there was no one six foot six who could run the hundred meters in you know in just over ten seconds. It was just mm. it almost felt like it was unfair. The closest I'd seen was you know was was playing in a school game where where uh, you know there's there's some kid some kid who's who's 12 years old but he's already got a beard and he's able to run through all the <laughs> through all the other kids it was yes, it made it look that easy it's exactly exactly how it is isn't it and it'd be interesting to see you know if if you put the 95 Lomu in the modern game now how we, how he'd fare do you think he'd still have the same impact I, I don't know I honestly think right if there was um because it is so hard to compare generations yeah. like, and I think there's there's very few players you know like yeah, I think even someone like Phil Bennett would find it hard with defences as organised as yeah. they are now. But someone like Lomu, it is absolute peak. If he was able to train, you know, the way that you boys train now, just think how much better he would be. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, with that, with that, with that conditioning. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a, there's a couple who would be able to do it. I think he would be one, and I think one of the other ones you mentioned was was Gareth Edwards. I yeah, think his, yeah. nat- his natural skill. You think the the ball that he's chucking around is, you know. Weighs like four stone when it's when it's uh, when it's soaking wet. Yeah, you know, those big old leather balls, and they're like a bar of soap when it's when it's wet as well. Yeah. I think he again. I, I've only seen the highlights reels of of Gareth Edwards, but everyone you speak to who, who played with or against him tells you that his natural skills were were just in, insanely high. Yeah, you could see that on my off, can you? Yeah, and I think we've got no, and, and on the uh, topic of long, we're still. The best computer game ever, John Long rugby. And we, uh, we actually, me and the kit man in the Ospreys now, he's uh, he's got a, a little TV, a little thirty-inch uh, TV in his kit room with with Longu. So every little break and training, we we go up there and uh, we got we got like a little cardboard box where all the kit is kept, and we got a, just a little viral pen. And there must be, honest to God, there's about fifty or sixty games, and we write the scores down on the man of the match in the game. And uh, we got a, we got a copy of that now, so that that happens all the time. Still the best game ever. Mate, that is absolutely superb. I love the <laughs> fact you didn't. Again, I lost, I lost large large periods of my childhood where, that I should have been spent doing homework or whatever. I was I was sneaking off to play journal and rugby because it was just uh, it, it was like because it was like it was a for the time quite an accurate representation of rugby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, but it was also just so easy to play. It was. Um, it was just pure fun. I, you know, I can't, yeah, they're, they're, they're never going to beat it. Rugby's too complicated a game, I think, to make a good. A yeah, good never, I've, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a game even come close to it uh, since, since, since that game. 
Well, we played. Uh, we uh, we did mention this with um, with Ben James from uh, from Wales Online when he came on. Yeah, and uh, we picked. Um, we we had a chat about Rugby 06. Now, Rugby 06, you were probably busy being an actual professional rugby player at this point. <laughs> but, people, <laughs> but people like me and Ben were uh, were were tucked away in the bedroom playing uh, playing you know the video games and that one was good to be fair right that one, right. Uh, that one was good so um yeah if you know if anyone could replicate either one of those games in the modern era mate i think they'd be on to a winner yeah i'll take your word for that then judd and i might take a <laughs> bit of convincing mind <laughs> uh well i'd actually i think you're on one of them you you, you would be on rugby 07 or rugby 08 or okay, like along with that. steady on but ben <laughs> <laughs> what about the other wing james uh Right, so the other wing, um, again, lo- a lot of options. I've, I thought about Jason Robinson. I just, just again, the, was it the Lions? Um, Lions in a one, he was just sensational. 2001, yeah, unbelievable. That, that first try he scored in the, in the first test. He just, he's just just electric and he's, you know, he's just just missed out. Kau Kau and Buka again, another one who... I just, just remember watching him with the the Super 40 or Super, maybe in Super 12 then when he was there, was it? Yeah, uh, it prob- yeah I think he probably did both. He was he would probably have been there for a bit of the Super 12 and a bit of the 14, I think. Yeah, so I just remember some of the unbelievable tries he scored. Uh, thought about Cheslin Colby as well, who, you know, just, just watching him in the modern game. I think what we just spoke about defences, how, how tight they are and how good they are. When, when you've got a player like that who can just make quality defences, world-class defences look ordinary, you know, he's some player. So uh, he, he was an option, but but didn't make it. I thought about Campesi for, for obvious reasons as well, but I've gone with uh, Rad Radra. Oh. You've, got, you've got some serious, serious uh, muscle on the wings here. I have, I have, yeah. Just gonna just, just sit on the cast on his shoulder and uh, they'll do the rest. <laughs> Is that what is that what you liked in a winger? Did you like to have a you know have a bit a big winger? Because again, you'd have played with a few you know obviously uh, you'd have played with with, with George North that uh, uh, you know currently at the Ospreys and, and with Wales and stuff. Did you like a player to come in off the wing and take a pot pass? So you know you'd obviously played with the likes of Shane as well. You yeah. were very very different. Yeah, definitely. And that obviously with Shane on a wing, there was a good balance. We talked about George North, and um, I always remember Nicky Walker as well when I first sort of uh, first stint in the Ospreys. Just used to have a move uh, called the creature, where basically we just bring him off, bring him in off the, off the wing from a scrum, and uh, yeah, we just just give him the ball and uh, have the twelve coming short off him, and you know, more often than not, he didn't pass. He just runs straight over the top of the ten, and we get you know front front foot ball, ball immediately. So uh, we, the reason we call him creature actually was because I think a Scottish commentator when he was playing for Scotland once. Uh, as he was carrying the ball, he just said, "Nicky Walker, what a creature!" And uh, it just it just stuck in the Ospreys ever since. So that's the reason for that. I like that. But you've gone you've gone for semi round round there. Um, yeah. What uh, what gave him the nod over all those other players? I, th- I think it was the last World Cup. I think um, in particular his, his performances. Obviously, before that, is you know his um, performances for his club. But I think against Wales, where you know you, you just felt. The big players needed to stand up, you know, if they were going to beat Wales. And obviously, I know they didn't beat beat them, but he went a long way and, and tried his best to, uh, you know, to pretty much win that game on his own for Fiji. So um, again, another one like 
like Longwood, probably not no, not not as much as as Longwood did back in the day. But somebody when he had the ball, you knew just some, something was going to happen. You didn't know what, but something was going to happen that was worth watching. Yeah, the the players that keep you on the edge of the seat. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Right. What about centres then? Right. So at number twelve, I've, I thought about Manonu, um, who's you know obviously for obvious reasons again, who, someone who, who developed his game as well. He was just a sort of a straight up and down centre, wasn't he? You yeah. know, which was amazing at that, by the way. But he was someone who, over over time developed his game, brought a kicking game, his passing game. Come on. Um, so he, you know, he adapted as as the game did, which uh, which is obviously great to see. Uh, I thought about Tuilangi um, playing at playing at twelve. Uh, Tim Horan as well. Oh yeah, but a proper proper footballer. Yeah, silky. But I think probably a lot of that's down to how well I play with him on Lomu rugby. So um, I don't know. I think I might have got a bit carried away there. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to pick. Uh, you'd have to pick uh, Jason Little outside him. And, yeah, and, uh, I know. And I know. Inside him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he comes as a pack, isn't he? <laughs> uh, but the the first I went for at twelve was Contepomi. Oh yeah, what a great player he was! He's, yeah. he's a, I think you're the first person to mention Contepomi, actually. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, I just just um, again love the way he played. You know, he's completely different to to Nonu and especially Tulangi. Um, you know, he wasn't the type of player who'd truck it up for you, but skills, ridiculous, ridiculous skills. And again, I remember playing against him in my second cap for Wales against Argentina. And um, well, again, what a, what a lovely bloke. I think, uh, well, I, I know he gave me after the, the game because he knew it was my first tour for Wales. He he gave me his jersey. I wanted to swap it and was going to give him my jersey. And he was like, no, no, it's your first tour. You, you keep the kit. It was my jersey. You know, it was you know great to play against you and all that, and you know built a bit of a friendship up with him really, as as we played against Leinster a heck of a lot, and he was playing for Leinster at the time. So yeah, great bloke and a great player. Oh, what a classy touch! I like that a lot. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, what a what a great fella. Who's uh, who's going to partner Contepomi in the centres? Oh, again, it was, you know, it was a lot of a lot of options, but I, I couldn't look past O'Driscoll. I think as a as an outside centre, he's he is a complete thirteen, even even now. He's he just had everything. I think you know his outside break, his pace. For for not even a really big bloke, defensively, punched way above his weight. He, uh, he turns ball over like a flanker, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, but he makes the hits first, then he turns the ball over. But it's just just his intelligence and his, his defensive reads, um, you know, were quality. So. Yeah, I think, you know, again, played with him, played against him, and you can just see, you know, it's all there to see how good he is. Yeah, it's it's funny, actually. It's one of those players who I never, as a fan, I never warmed to, but that's probably a testament to how good he was. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I was forever I was forever watching, you know, him boss it for <clears throat> Leinster or or boss it for Ireland. And and that's because he's he's just he's he's just that good. You know, I, I think he is the best Northern Hemisphere. 13 that I've that I've ever seen and, yeah. and it's because it's of that like you say he's got he's got everything in his locker yeah definitely who did you go for 13 Jed? God you're asking me now mate we're going back about 8 weeks <laughs> oh no I tell you I went for we had uh, I, I went I wanted to see Gibbs and Bateman play once more together so I went oh, for Gibbs nice. as well from Bateman at 13 quality because I just feel like if that had been if those boys hadn't have gone off and played league if they played union together in the centre for uh, you know for a a decade I, I just think that would have been it would have been very different um, 
it'd have been very different being a Welshman growing up in England in the 90s, mate. I tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's uh, there's um, there is one place left in your side, James. So this is your last chance to pick yourself at 15 if you want to. Uh, Oh, go on then. Go on then. I will. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like right. So I've got again so so many options, but I've. I thought about, I know I mentioned him earlier, Brent Russell. Um, yeah. For I, I, I remember, like I said, when when I went to watch him training, we watched them play against uh, Australia that game. And again, I can't remember the date. It was, it was early 2000s and it was in Cape Town, so I could probably look back on that. But he was untouchable. You know, every time someone kicked in the ball, he was just making breaks for fun. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really know a great deal about him before that game. But... Uh, it certainly did after. So he came into contention. I thought about him, but um, I also thought about uh, Christian Cullen. Yeah. Uh, just just phenomenal. Um, remember him was, I think he, he played sort of his best rugby again around that sort of late 90s, wasn't it? He did, yeah. I, I think, again, he's like, he must have the best, um, the best YouTube reel out of any player yeah. from that era. Because it's not like it's not like he's scoring tries, um, you know, against against Duff sides midweek. All his amazing tries are against Australia or South Africa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and full full length of the pitch tries as well, isn't he? Some yeah. of them. Yeah, pure class. Yeah. So, but the, the person I've gone with, and I thought, well, I've gone sort of nineties and you know, sort of two thousand players. So I've gone, uh, you know, for I think Blanco, where you know. Mm-hmm. He was back back in the eighties, isn't he? Um, and I just thought, well, you you hear so much about him, see so many clips about him. I just want to see what he's all about in this team. Yeah, that, uh, again, like a little bit a little bit before my time. But you speak to anyone who watched Serge Blanco play, and he was kind of the first because he you know played in that first World Cup. He was almost the first superstar of the game, really. Yeah, yeah, he was. What did I what did I say? Eighties? He said seventies. He was, wasn't he? No, no, Blanco was eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, eighties. Yeah, he would have been the the bulk of his uh, international careers in the eighties. Yeah, um, but yeah, just p- pure class. He's got a um, he's got a cafe in Biarritz, um, like a cafe bar in Biarritz, which uh, I was on a stag do over there um, on the the twenty thirteen Lions when the twenty thirteen Lions tour was on there. Yeah, and um, all the lads went off surfing because it was Biarritz, and there was three of us. Three of us. I said, I'm, I'm, it was only a tour game, but I was like. The uh, the Lions were playing uh, the Waratahs. I was like, no, let's skulk off. We'll sit sit down. We found this cafe, and it turned out it was uh, it's Serge Blanco's, and it was a nice uh, nice place to sit there, have a have a couple of beers, and try and recover from the night before. Oh, but, nice, uh, yeah. nice. He's yeah, he's an absolute hero in that in uh, in that part of the world. He is. I remember right. actually meeting him once. The only time I met him was after we got knocked out of the Heineken Cup quarter final against Biarritz and I think he's obviously something to do with the club there still um, and he was in the aftermatch function and uh, I hardly recognise him because he's, he's quite a big bloke now isn't he? Yeah, yeah he is yeah but um, yeah. I remember I remember actually having a photograph with him I thought we'd lost the game but I thought I'd get something positive out of this and have a photo of Blanco over here now seeing as you brought it seeing as you brought it up though, I've got to talk about it again it's one of the most insane games of rugby I've ever seen and I think that might be the only time in history. I mentioned this on a podcast the other day, but that must be the only time in history I've ever seen Shane Williams done for pace when Nguyenu went round him. Yeah, I think I think he took took everyone everyone by surprise. Obviously, he certainly took Shane by surprise. But what unbelievable wheels, isn't it? And he just pretty much went run straight, didn't he, for hundred meters? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he took us all by surprise. But uh, 
oh, I'd gutted. I never felt so gutted in my life after that game. Just because we got so close and we had a, a home semi-final draw if we if we had won. Um, that was your best chance of winning Europe by a, by a million miles. I'll have to ask you this one as well. Sorry to bring it down a bit towards the end, <laughs> but um, uh, we've definitely, you know, we've, we've spoken to a few players in that who played in that in that era, and, and Adam Jones said the same thing to us, and he said that he always he looks back at that era, the Ospreys, and said that you should have won more. Is that yeah. is that how you see it? Oh, definitely. And like you know, we won. I think during that time we won two league titles and mm-hmm. won like an EDF and things like that. But yeah, we, if you look at the squad and even now we look back and you think. Cheap, but you know it's an international team, and uh, you know we got so close. Uh, well, we didn't. We did. We didn't really get close to winning Europe. We got knocked out of two quarterfinals. Um, like I say, the Biarritz game was the closest we did get. But yeah, should should have gone on, and for various reasons, you know that we played really well that game against Biarritz. Scored some great tries. If you, if you look back, and just wasn't the B. I think Damien Try kicked uh, two dropped goals. Scruffy dropped goals. Uh, which you know on, on any other day would never have gone over but somehow they did go over and yeah it was Beerus's day and not ours unfortunately well let's 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 lighten the mood just before we ask you the, the final questions about your uh, about your kit and, and captain and everything else you had spoken there but you said that's the kind of you know the, the, the hardest uh, pill to swallow as a player what about the one moment on the pitch if you could live one moment on the pitch over and over again you know what is the one bit that that will that will live with you forever the biggest highlight the biggest oh what's oh, a good question that Jed uh, I think probably 2007 when I beat England uh, in Cardiff and yeah. you know it wasn't it wasn't for any trophy well it was to avoid the wooden spoon actually it was the week the week before we'd <coughs> we'd uh, lost to Italy really disappointing obviously with that kick to, to touch where the referee said we had time for the line out uh, um, um, obviously blew up which stopped us getting the win um, and then we played England in Cardiff the week after and we had to beat them to avoid to avoid the wooden spoon and yeah it was my first um, game proper start in Six Nations at 10 and just yeah, just went really well for me we beat England obviously at a full house um, and, and man of the match so yeah it was one obviously we've had some good proud moments after that but that's one that sticks out in my head and just I always remember that game just the st- the fans in the stadium just you know you'd swear we'd won the Grand Slam the way they were cheering and I know you know Welsh fans are like when we beat England they, they go berserk anyway so you know they just they just didn't want to move they didn't want to leave the stadium we you know clapping the fans going round and I don't think the boys the players wanted to leave the stadium either it's a great great moment and a, and a great game and I think with my Stato hat on that's the that's the last time any player in the Six Nations has done the uh, has ticked all four boxes with uh, with try conversion drop goal penalty. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, is it the last player? I know there's not many players I've, who've done it, but yeah, you might be right. Unless, unless right. someone's done it this year, I, I'm, I, it was definitely the case for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's, that's nice as well. <laughs> right <laughs> then, James. Let's finish. Um, let's finish with the the final questions. Which Stadium? Would you like this game to to take place at? If this was uh, to be a real game of rugby, where do you think it, really, it should take place? Uh, right. Well, I thought about this, and I thought, right, what are the, all the best stadiums in the world we've played at? And but I, I I've gone for this. This game is going to be played in the Knoll on a Friday night. Still, it's, it's going to be packed to the rafters. They brought in some temporary stands, and it's going to be packed to the rafters. Um, 
And like you say, Friday night, then the lights crisp. You can smell the the burgers and the onions, and you're you know, you're really close to the players. Um, and I just think it'll make for a great atmosphere. I, you know, you you've picked a pack that um, that I think would uh, would cherish a Friday night at the Knoll. So, and actually, there's a fair few players in the back, so I think would. Um, I think I think uh, perhaps Castagnier might need to put his gloves on if he's yeah, uh, yeah, you might yeah, you might not like the Knoll, Castagnier. Come thinking about it, but uh... I said, mate, we'll have you on the bench just in case. <laughs> <laughs> a great choice. And what about uh, what about Kit? What jersey do you think this uh, this side should wear? So I've gone for uh, my old uh, junior club Abraham Quinn so the, the traditional black and red uh, hoops black and red hoops great show. Yeah. A classic kind of rugby jersey that isn't it yeah yeah it is so it's my old my old team Abraham Quinn so I'd like uh, you know I'd like to see Lomu in, in one of those well we'll let yeah that's great we'll um, we'll make sure that we uh that we put the artwork in uh, in that colour for this episode, so it'll be the black and red, uh, black and uh, black and red hoops. Brilliant! And uh, then you also get to choose the opposition. Who would you like to see this team go out and beat? I, I again thought long and hard about this, but I've, I've gone I've gone for the All Blacks. I'd like to see them beat the All Blacks, and I'd also like to see you know the the hacker before the game. And you know, remember when Munster played against. Uh, I think it was New Zealand Maori and you had Doug Howler playing for Munster and yeah. doing a hacker against. So I'd like to see Lomu and, and the All Blacks in my team doing a hacker against against the actual All Blacks in the Knoll just to really get a crowd going before the game, you know? Oh, what a great choice. Love the thought of that. And yeah. uh, mate, it's gonna be it's gonna be rocking down there. And then yeah, the the last question is who would uh, who would skip of the sides? You've got some good uh, some great leaders in there. You've got Van der Vestesen, <laughs> you've got Khaleesi, you've got uh, Paul O'Connell, who's who uh, gets the uh, the armband for this game? Oh, I don't know. Um, I didn't think about this, but I'm looking at the team now, and I, I think I'm just going to give it a shout. Brits and say, "Go on, boy, just give give it a go and see what you got." Love it, fantastic, great choice. I, I did actually, James. I did actually pick a coach as well. I don't know if uh, oh, go on, in, yeah, yeah, do it. I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought there's so many quality players in this. I thought you know it's a bit of fun, so I thought I'd like to see Jurgen Klopp. Coaches team. <laughs> I thought of, you just ima- imagine the thought. I, I can just I can just picture Klopp walking up the touchline of the Knoll, just telling Lomu to pull his wits a little bit. You know. Do you know what? I can see Klopp having a great bit of banter with uh, with the Neath locals as well. Do you know what? I think he'd uh, I think he'd give as good as he gets. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I looked at the team, I thought that this team doesn't really need a coach. Just needs someone who's positive with a good atmosphere. You know, brings a good atmosphere to the squad. And I just can imagine. You know, Klopp and Lomu and Contepomi, these boys in Wellspoons after having a pint with all the Neath fans. So, mate, I absolutely love that. That's the absolute perfect place to finish. All these boys in <laughs> Jurgen Jurgen Klopp getting on the Jaeger bombs in yeah. uh, in Weathers, in Weatherspoons in Neath. I, I'd buy a ticket for it anyway. <laughs> so would I. James Hook, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on the attacking scrum. No worries, Jed. No problem, mate. Good to speak to you. Podcast Network.